Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, can we turn over to Matthew 16? We're going to start there today. Come on, didn't the worship team do a great job? They were even down a few people, and they did a wonderful job today. Come on, Zeke Tillett on the bass this morning. Let's give it up for him. He wasn't planning on playing bass, and he's, you know, they just was like, we don't have a bass player. You're playing bass, so. And Haas, what can I say about Haas, the pillar of the church? He's the pillar that our whole church resides on. So if he falls, we're done for, folks. The worship team, though, they did a great job. Uh, and helped us to get to where we need to get this morning. It's wonderful. So we're going to continue this series. We've been talking about why church on Sunday mornings. And um, we're going to continue that today. And i got a good word for you today. We're going to continue to talk about why church, why church is important, and why Jesus said he's building his church. So Matthew 16, this is Jesus speaking here. Well, he's about to speak. First, he asked this question. We're going to get into the story later. But Simon Peter answered and said to Jesus, You are the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, and you did not learn this from any human being. Verse 18, key verse for today. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, And upon this rock, I will build my church. Everybody say, my church. Say it like you mean it. Say, my church. There we go. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus said, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Isn't that a good word today? And that encouraging word to know this morning that all the powers of hell will not conquer the church that Jesus is building. Now it says in your Bible that the church that Jesus is building is going to be so powerful. It's going to change the world. It's going to do extraordinary things. And, and we're still part of that church in 2022. 22. Uh, we're still part of that church that was started 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is still building his church on the earth through us. He's still building it, and it's his church. It's so important that we realize what privilege we have to be a part of God's church on the earth. It's the most powerful thing on the world today is the church. The church mobilized is the greatest force for good on the earth, the church of Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part of his church today. Now, I can't recap everything I've said in the past few weeks, but go back and listen to those podcasts. They're online. They're on Apple Podcasts about why we need the church. But for the past few weeks, we've been talking about why we need the church. Specifically, we've used the word picture because the Bible uses these word pictures of that Jesus' church is his bride, the bride of Christ. And it says that Jesus, if you look in Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus loves his church and gave himself for his church. Jesus loves his church and he gave himself for his church. So it's important to Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you will love what he loves. So the church is his bride. But also the church is his body. 
The church is his body. Now, we're not going to talk about that this week. We're going to talk about that next week, hopefully. But the last thing is the church is his building. The church is God's building on the earth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I can tell all the construction people are very excited so far. Uh, we're going to talk about the church as God's building. Trust me, as we get into this, this is going to be fun today. You're going to be excited. I know you're like, hey, we're his building. Wow, that's very encouraging to hear, Pastor. Very exciting. I get to be a building today, Pastor. No, once you know what he means when he says you're God's building, you'll be very excited, and you'll be doing a lap before the end of the service. All right? Deal? So let's do this. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Boulders, Builders, and Bricks. Yeah, I still got a few titles left in the bag after all those years at the quarry. Boulders, builders, and bricks. So today we're going to talk about Jesus building his church, and we are God's building. We are God's building. So we're going to turn back over to Matthew 16, and we're going to get into this entire passage to give you a little context of what he's talking about. Matthew 16. And we're going to start in verse 13. So this is what happens. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am or the son of man is? Verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Key verses. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you, who's you? The church. Come on, who's you? The church. And I will give you, he's still talking about building his church and the gates of hell not prevailing. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the reason I wanted to read you this whole passage so you understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, we're, we're still talking about Jesus building his church. We're God's building. The church is God's building. This is where this comes from, and I will build my church. So when we read our Bibles, a lot of times we read it in such a very flat way, a narrow way, where we just read it for face value. We don't consider what Jesus is saying, the context of why he's saying it, or even the location of where he's saying these things, because all those things matter. That's why you need to study your Bible. Because you'll miss 80% of the good stuff if you never study your Bible. You'll just think, okay, I don't know what that means, or I don't get this, and I don't... Yeah, you, do, you won't unless you study your Bible. But once you start studying it, you realize you're like, oh my gosh. This scripture I've read my whole life, I just thought, like, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. kind of weird. It's like an ancient cultural thing. But once you read it and you study it and you understand it, you'll see what Jesus or whoever's writing is trying to get across to you. So this is why I want to give you the context because you're going to like this today. When Jesus is giving this little message to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? 
Because there's a lot of rumors going around. Who is this Jesus? Is he an Old Testament prophet? Come back from the dead. Who is Jesus? And he said, who do they say I am? Who, you know, who do you think I am? And then Simon Peter, which was the spokesperson a lot of times for uh, the disciples, stood up and said, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. And of course, when he said that, Jesus was like, one disciple's got it. Thank the Lord. One disciple has figured this out, that I'm not an Old Testament prophet. I'm not this person or that person. I am the one that they prophesied in the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times that the Son of God would come, that the Messiah, the Christ, and Jesus said, you got it right, Peter. Now, now don't give Peter too much credit. He got it wrong right in the next few verses, and Jesus called him Satan. Okay? So uh, we can all hear from God one day and hear from the devil the next. Are you here in this Methodist church? So, Peter said, you're the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And Jesus said, flesh and blood, human beings did not reveal this to you. This came from my father who is in heaven. This is a divine revelation that you got. But then he says, you know what, Peter? You are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then I will give you, who's you? The church that I'm building. The keys of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But here's the significance of that. When Jesus was preaching this, he was at a specific location saying this that the people of that day would understand. Now it says he was in Caesarea Philippi. Which Caesarea Philippi is in the northern part of Israel. And the northern part of Israel was known to be a place where all the idol worship was. Especially in the Old Testament, that was like the center of Baal worship. You ever heard of Baal? He was like the guy for pagan idolatry. They worshiped. But in the New Testament, by that time, that whole region of Caesarea Philippi was full of temples to other false gods, to other idols. The temple of Zeus, the temple of Pan, all these ancient religious false gods there was temples all over the place in the region that Jesus said this. Now stay with me. So when he says this, he's standing at a specific location, preaching this message about building his church. And this location is not by accident, it's on purpose, because a lot of times when Jesus is preaching, he liked to give his crowd a visual. When he talked about farming, he would, he would look over and say, hey, look, there's farms right here. Remember the seed and the sower? Look at this right here. Or, or look, at, look at the birds. Or, or look at these flowers. He would always do wonderful visuals when he would be preaching. That was the, that was the visual PowerPoint of that day. They were real life. But many scholars and writers believe that Jesus was standing at this specific location, which I have a picture of. And could we pull that picture up for a second here? If we have it, do we have a picture? Yes, we do. So this is the region of Caesarea Philippi. And you can't see it fully in this picture, but this is a huge rock formation where Jesus is preaching this. Now, in the time and day Jesus lived, this opening into this cave was called the gates of hell. 
Because the people of that day believed that that's where all their false gods, pagan gods, came from. That's like, that was like the entryway into the unseen realm. That was the entryway into the, the realm of the dead. That was, this place in the cave was, was the place where the, the unseen powers were coming through this cave. Now, now still in ancient uh, places around the world, they still believe this, that caves are like the, the hole in the earth where all these demonic spirits come from. People still believe that superstitiously. So in the time and day Jesus was writing this, he was at this rock, by this cave, on purpose, trying to get something over to his disciples and the rest of the people preaching. Now, at at this time, there was temples all around there. There wasn't just ruins of all these false gods. And Jesus stands right in the middle of all them and says, guess what? I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this. All these false gods and pagan gods and the unseen realm and the realm of the dead and these demonic beings and these wannabe gods, they will not have the last say. They will not have the last laugh. Realize that they are not going to be able to overcome the power of God and the kingdom of God because I'm going to build my church. So when Jesus was saying this, there was a nice visual for them to see it. Because he was probably standing on this big rock, looking down at this cave opening, which was called the gates of hell, and says, I'm going to build my church, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are you with me this morning? Now, there's significance in that because you need to realize the context and why Jesus said what he was saying and why he said that. Because he was putting not just these people, but all the unseen realm on alert that I'm here and things are about to change. That you're not going to have the power anymore to lord it over people. That, that these these uh, pagan gods and pagan idols, which even though they were false, there's always a real demonic evil power behind those religions. There always is. And he was putting them on notice that I'm coming for you. And my church is going to be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will not prevail against it. Now, if you know Jesus is speaking in the future because he has not went to the cross yet, Jesus does this. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. But it says in your Bible, he went to hell for three days. He went into the gates of hell. He went to the underworld. He went to where all the demonic powers are. He went to where all the evil powers are. And he says he was there for three days. And then he defeated them. And when he came back, it says that he got the keys of the kingdom. Guess who he gave the keys of the kingdom to? His church. To rule and reign on this earth. Not let the world and the devil and the flesh rule and reign over them. He gave the keys of the kingdom to the church. You know why we have what we have in this United States and around the world? It's not because the devil's big and bad. It's because the church has not stood up with their authority. It's because the church is running scared. It's because the church doesn't realize we got the keys of hell, death, and the grave because Jesus gave it to us. And if we ever stood up, this world would change. 
Because he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this has happened. You realize when Jesus was speaking this, he was speaking about future things that would happen. That he would go to the cross and he would go to hell and he would strip the, the enemy of his authority and he would give us a new life and he would hand the keys of the kingdom and the power and authority to his church. And that church, the gates of hell would not prevail against him. Now we're living in those days. They were looking forward to those days. Are you with me? And we need to realize that as the church that we are powerful and we have authority, not because of us, but because Jesus, the Son of God, has given us the keys of his kingdom, the keys of heaven. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever we lose, if the church ever stood up and realized its authority, the world would change tomorrow. It would. But a lot of times the church is running scared from the world, from the devil, from the flesh, from everything. Like, like we don't have the power and we don't have the authority. It's not true. Jesus stripped their authority 2,000 years ago. And then he said, and I'm going to build my church, devil. And he, they're going to enforce my authority from here on out. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it because I give them the keys of the kingdom. Are you with me this morning? You follow me so far? We are about this far into this message. We've got a ways to go, people. You've got to listen quicker. That's the issue. But let's think about this because even the passage, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Talking about the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Really, that's a bad translation. And I want to tell you why. Because even that translation of it kind of makes us feel like the church is in the corner getting our butt kicked by the devil and the world. And then at the last second, we throw a punch and we, we prevailed against it. And, and we read passages like that and it makes us feel like the church is the minority and the church doesn't have the power and that hell's all big and bad and powerful, but the church will make it. The church will prevail against it. Really, that's not the best translation of it. Because that's putting the church in a defensive mode, not an offensive mode. Here's what a better translation would be. In the original language, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. That's offensive, not defensive. The better translation of that verse, and I, I just was just listening to it. He's a Greek scholar. He said... It would better be said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. Withstand what? The church. That means we're not playing defense to the devil. And that's what most churches are doing. 
That's what most Christians are doing. They're, they're, they're back in the corner, backing away from culture, backing away from the world, hiding in their homes, hiding away, acting like, well, we'll prevail one day, and we're just hiding away from the big, bad, scary devil in the world and the flesh, and we don't have that power, but, but we're just going to try to make it to heaven someday. Jesus, please come help us. Please come save us. And he's like, what are you talking about? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. Why? Because I will give you the keys of the kingdom. You, you human beings, my church, I will give you the authority, the keys of the kingdom. So whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. And it's up to you to do it. It's not this defensive. I'm in the corner. It says that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. That means the church is not in the corner. The church is charging hell with a water pistol we don't even need a water pistol we have the authority the church should not be defensive we should be offensive that means we're not losing ground we're taking ground we're going into culture we're going into business we're going into music we're going into movies we're going into the government we're going into finance we're going into the world we're not running from it we're running to it because the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it that means when we keep pushing they're not going to be able to keep us out because we are in authority are you with me today? We are in authority, church, and not because we're awesome, because he's awesome, and he gave us the authority as his church. So next time you read it, don't read it. The gates of hell will not prevail because, you know, the world's just beating us up. Devil's got us. No, the gates of hell won't be able to withstand it. Withstand who? The church, because we're coming in. And we're taking ground. And we're taking over. And we're not going to be on the sidelines. And we're not going to go hide in our four walls of the church and just act like we can't do anything about it. We can do something about it. Because we are the church. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand us. But how is Jesus doing it? He's doing it through his church. That's us. I love what the message says it. The way that it really should be said in this passage, Matthew 16 and verse 18, if we could read it. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell would be able to keep it out. That's what it really means in the original language. It's not that we're in defense mode, we're in offense mode. That We're coming and the gates of hell will not be able to keep us out. Because his church is so expansive and full of energy and full of the life of God, hell itself will not be able to stop us. Come on, that's what you're part of this morning, church family. That's what you're part of. Jesus' church. Are you with me so far? Now, that's not even my main message. That's all free. <laughs> I just had to give you a little context of the verse I'm preaching on today. So we are his church, and we're coming, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. They won't be able to keep us out. They won't be able to shut us up because we have the authority. So today we're talking about boulders, builders, and bricks. So if we could, could we get Matthew 16 and verse 18 
up there again in the New King James. And I want to read it. Uh, could we do verse 18 if possible? Matthew 16, verse 18. And it says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. Shall not prevail against it. So, talking about Jesus building his church. The next question is, how is Jesus building his church? And what is the rock that Jesus is building it on? You know, when Jesus was standing on that rock structure in Israel, above that cave, he wasn't literally saying, I'm going to build a church on top of this mountain right here. And this is going to be my church. And the gates of hell, he was giving them a visual picture of how much bigger the kingdom of God is than the gates of hell. How much more powerful. So Jesus was not saying, I'm just going to build a church on top of this mountain. That's the rock I'm talking about. So how is Jesus building his church? Would you like to know that? And who is the rock he's building it on? Well, let's read this passage once again because there's so much in these verses. Uh, Matthew 16 and verse 18, again in New King James. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let's leave this up here for a second. It's interesting to note that when you read this verse, in just your regular translations, you don't see it. But if you knew the original language, you would see it. Jesus says he's going to build his church and he's going to build it on the rock. Well, who's the rock? Well, the rock is not the wrestler or the movie star. Because that's where some of you are at. You're like, I'm not thinking about a mountain. I'm thinking about the rock, the wrestler. Um, he's not talking about him. But he says, I will say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, you got to understand when you read in the original languages, this is what it says. And I will say that you are Peter. And that word Peter actually means rock. But there's two different words here. That word Peter is the word Petros, where we get the word that's for a small stone or a brick. But then he says, and on this rock, that is a different word for rock, which is the word Petra, which means the foundation stone, the boulder, a large stone, or we could say biblically, the cornerstone. Now stay with me here. So is Jesus building his church on Peter or is he building it on himself? both. Now, many people have taken this passage because they don't know the original languages and said, well, look, he says, Peter is the rock and I'm going to build him, build my church upon Peter. And now Peter was one of the leaders in the early church. That is true. And he was one of the rocks that Jesus built on. But Jesus is not saying, I'm just going to build it on Peter. I'm going to build it on me and Peter. Because Jesus wants to use us in what he's building on the earth. Now, once again, the word Peter, humans, we're the small stones. We're the bricks in this building he's building. But then he says, and I will build on me the rock, which that is the word Petra, which is the foundational stone, the boulder stone or the cornerstone. So is he building it on Peter 
Or is he building it on himself? He's building it on both. Now, if we don't believe that, then we'll just think, well, Jesus is doing his thing, but I don't really have a part to play in it. But that's not true with anything that he's doing. He does it through his church. He uses his body to build his church. Now, it was Jesus' idea to make us a part of his building. The Bible says that we're co-workers, co-laborers, partners with what God is doing on the earth. We need him, of course, but he decides to use us. So is he building it on Peter or is he building it on himself? He's building it on both. But we need to know the roles that we play. All of us in here are Peter stones. We're small stones. We're bricks in the building. But Jesus is the large stone, the foundation stone, the boulder stone, or the Bible says the corner stone, and what he is building, which is his church. Are you, are you still following me today? But let's talk about Jesus' part before we talk about your part. Jesus' part in this building, first of all, is that he would be the foundation of it, that he would be the cornerstone of it. It's said in the Old Testament and the New that Jesus is the cornerstone to the building that he's building, which is his church. But what is the significance of being a foundational stone or a cornerstone in a building? Well, there's so much in that that can tell us what Jesus is meant to be for his church. If you look in ancient times, they had cornerstones in their buildings, and they built their buildings with cornerstones. But even modern times, if you go to downtown New Albany or downtown Jeff or downtown Louisville, a lot of the older buildings at the corner of the building is a large stone that is the cornerstone. And there's significance in the cornerstone. Now, we're talking about Jesus' part in building his church as the cornerstone. What's the significance of that? Well, in building terms, the cornerstone, and we should know this about Jesus, is always laid first. It's always laid first. In the building that Jesus is building his church, guess who the first stone is? Jesus. Guess who the foundational stone? It's Jesus. Guess who's first in all things? It's Jesus. Guess where the focus is? It's Jesus. Because he is the cornerstone, so he was laid first. You with me? Also, the cornerstone has to be perfect. It has to be perfect, because if it's not perfect, the rest of the building will be off. So the cornerstone always has to be perfect. And how many know, thank the Lord that the church is not built with us being the cornerstone. Because it would be laid kind of lopsided, kind of off. you got to realize this, that the church is laid with the cornerstone Jesus, and he's perfect. So everything relies off the perfect cornerstone, so the rest of the building is laid perfectly straight. I wanted to tell you this morning, it's not based off a man, because if it was, the church would not be built right. It's not based off a church, because the church would not be built right. It's not based off a denomination, because the church would not be built right. It's based off Jesus, and he's the perfect cornerstone. 
So the cornerstone has to be perfect. Why? So the rest of the building will be straight and perfect. The cornerstones in buildings in the past, they put the cornerstone there because the cornerstone is the stone, hear me today, that binds and unites the rest of the building. Come on, can I, can I preach for a second? Don't get lost at the gates of hell. Come on, come back to me. We're, we're in building mode now. I said that the Jesus is the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is what binds and unifies the whole building. That's Jesus. And I want you to know today that Jesus is the thing that unifies us, and it binds the whole church together. Hear me today. We got to stop getting in our own tribes, in our own sides, whether we're doing that racially. Well, I'm white, and I'm black, and I'm Asian, and I'm Latino, and i got to take my side. Nah, there's none of that in the kingdom of God. What unites us and binds us together is not our color. It's Jesus. Well, I'm Democrat, and I'm, I'm Republican, and I'm independent, and I like Biden, and I like Trump. Guess what? I don't like any of them. I like Jesus. And you know what unites us is not our political parties. Because guess what? The United States is not going to be here in eternity. Yeah. There's not going to be all these kingdoms we have now in eternity. There's only going to be one kingdom, the kingdom of God. But what unites us is not how we vote. It's not our color. It's not our financial status. Well, I'm rich and I'm poor and I'm middle class and I'm this. What unites and binds the whole church together is the cornerstone, which is Jesus. Come on, we got to stop being petty in the church. That is the goal of the enemy, to divide us, because a divided church is weak and can't do what it's called to do in the earth. A united church is unstoppable, but what unites is Jesus. That's all you need to know. Do you love Jesus and I love Jesus? We're, we're family now. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what side of town you live on. I don't care if you even say, well, I'm Baptist or I'm Catholic or I'm Methodist. Do you love Jesus? We're in the same family. Am I getting a little excited? <laughs> what unites us and binds us together is Jesus, and we got to get over this in the church world. Hear me. And I'm all for camps and companies and groups of people to hang out with, but we don't need to get so exclusive. We, we live up parts of the body of Christ that we can learn from, but we're, we think we're too good for them. We're all helping each other. You know, the Methodists know things that we don't know, and we know things the Methodists don't know. The Pentecostals know stuff, and the Catholics know stuff, and the Baptists know stuff, and the Lutherans know stuff. We all have our fortes and we all have our gifts. We need each other. What unifies and binds us is Jesus. Not tongues. That's not what binds us. Not believe in tongues. Shandai, Shandai, tie my bow tie. What unites us is not do you fall out or not in service. What unites us or not is do you preach loudly, which I don't know how you cannot if you're passionate about it, or do you preach, preach quietly? Do you have an organ, or do you have a guitar player? Do you have a hymnal, or do you have a PowerPoint? That's not the point. Because in the building Jesus is building, he's the cornerstone, and Jesus unifies and binds the whole building together.
if the church globally, which there's billions of us, thought this way, man, it would be over tomorrow. We'd already be up in heaven, y'all. Because who can stop a unified church? we got to make some movement or we're going to be here to two after in the afternoon today. You with me today? I'm sorry I had to preach for a second. You pulled it out of me. It was your fault. Here's another thing the cornerstone does. Now, we're still talking about this is Jesus' part in the building he's building, which is the church. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundational stone. Now, we're not. We are stones, but we're, we're not that stone. That's off limits. We can't do that. We're bricks in the wall. We're stones in the wall. We're a part of the building, but we're not the foundation. Here's another thing that the cornerstone provides the strength and support for the rest of the building. It bears the weight of the building. How many of you know that we as believers... And people, part of his church, you do need to take responsibility for what God has called you to do, but you're not the one carrying all the weight. Jesus is. He's the cornerstone. The cornerstone also sets the direction for the building. They take the measurements for the rest of the building from the cornerstone on the place that the cornerstone is laid so everything is measured perfectly notice we don't measure that against ourselves we measure it against Jesus he's the standard not us let's read this passage 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9 for we are both God's workers and you are God's field and you are God's building Verse 10, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation or cornerstone other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. If you go to a church that the foundation is not Jesus, get out. Paul said, what I'm preaching, I'm laying a foundation, and I'm not laying the foundation as me. I'm not laying the foundation of a denomination. I'm not laying the foundation of anything else but Jesus, because he is the foundation stone, the cornerstone. Are you still with me today? Still talking about Jesus' part. We'll get to yours. God is building a building, and the building is the church. But who is he building it on? He's building it on himself, and he's building it on us. He's building it on the foundation stone, the cornerstone, the large stone, the boulder, Jesus. But he's also building it on us, us pebbles, (laughs) us small stones, us bricks in the building that God's building. But the thing about Jesus is not only is he the foundation of the church, he is the builder and architect of the church. Now, many of you have heard most of your life that Jesus is a carpenter. About to shake sacred cows. You had to burn all those paintings at your house. Jesus building a table. 
so we said that Jesus is building his church, and he is not just the foundation or cornerstone of his church, but he is the master builder and architect of his church, meaning he knows how to build, and he knows where everybody goes, and he's already thought this through, and he knows that you go here, and you go here, and oh, you're lighting, you go here, and you're a pillar, and you're a beam, and you go here. He knows how to design because Jesus is a master builder and architect, and he is of his church he's building on the earth. Now, Hear me here. We know that Jesus was a builder, and many people say he was a carpenter, and that's because it's, it's a word used in the Gospels that some people can translate for carpenter. But really, a better translation would be he was a construction worker because he really did a lot of things. Because in that time, really most houses were built with stones, not wood in the Middle East. And still today, it's like that. But listen to this. This is very interesting. And this is from Rick Renner, who's a man who studies the Greek language. This is what he said about this word when we see that Jesus was a carpenter. This is actually the word tecton, which can be translated carpenter, but it's also used in ancient literature. Now you with me? To depict a master stonesman, a masterful stone carver, an architect who is engaged to architecturally design or to construct a monumental building or temple fashioned of stone. Such individuals used advanced skill to make sure each stone fit into its correct place in the building. Or they were tasked to carve elaborate capitals to marvelously sit atop towering columns in these buildings, temples, or palaces. Hear me. Thus, it is entirely possible that the word tecton, which is the word that people say Jesus was a carpenter, describes Joseph and Jesus as a masterful stonesman or stone carver. Since Christ today is constructing the church of living stones, it should not surprise us that Christ is a masterful stonesman and stone cutter, and he uses his divine skills to build his church. So, Jesus naturally, when he was on the earth, his job was literally to build buildings, design them, think about them, and put all their stones in place. But how many know he does that spiritually with us? He's a master builder. He's a master architect, both naturally and supernaturally. Our Jesus. So he knows what he's doing when he's building this church. He knows where you go. He knows where you fit. And he's got a grand scheme and plan on how it's supposed to look, his church. Let's read 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 6 in the New Living Translation. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. But notice this, and you are living stones, you guys, that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scripture says, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, speaking prophetically of Jesus. This is from the Old Testament. Chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yeah. 
You realize the same Peter that Jesus said, and on this rock I'll build my church is the same Peter that's writing this. That's telling these churches that yes, we're building it on Jesus, the cornerstone, but you also are stones being built up into the building that he's building, which is his church. You're a part of this thing. Don't count yourself out. He hasn't counted you out. He's put you in. And you need to be in your place so the building is what it should be. He sets us in the place of his body and in the building as it pleases him. And if we don't let God put us in our place as a stone and what he's building, we're just a bunch of building materials laying around. How many of that doesn't help anybody? How many of you know if, if part of the materials are in the building and in the place they need to be and some are not, it makes the whole building weaker? Some of you are like, I can do what I want and be a part of the church. No, you can't. No, you can't. Why? Because what you do, you make us stronger or make us weaker. Because maybe you're supposed to be the beam right here, but you think you can do what you want to do. If you take that beam out, guess this side of the building needs help now and is weaker because you won't get in the place that God has for you. No, no, you need to be that stone right there. Well, it's not important what I do. I could do whatever I want. No, if you're not there, then you're missing in that wall of stones and you make the whole wall of stones weaker because you're not in the place that you need to be. And how many know Jesus is the master builder, architect of this thing, and he knows where you belong? And if he tells you to get somewhere, get somewhere. And if he tells you to give something, give something. If he tells you to serve, serve. If he tells you to get plugged in, get plugged in. He's not trying to control you. He's trying to put you in the building where you belong. And when you get in that place, you make the whole building stronger. You make the whole building more beautiful because you're in the place that God has for you. We're all important to God's plan. We're all important to the building that he's building. And God knows where we belong as the master builder and architect of this thing. Are you with me today? We have to allow God. Notice I said you have to allow God because you have a will. You don't have to do anything God tells you the rest of your life. You don't. Your life won't be what it should be. But you have a will. You have to allow God to place you in a church. And once you get there, stop trying to jump off the wall. <laughs> You're just building materials now. Get back in your place. We, every time you do that, you're making the whole building weaker instead of stronger. When God tells you to, to get committed to something, get committed. When God tells you to give something into his church, give it. When God tells you to be a part of something, he's doing that on purpose because he's trying to make the church, his building, stronger. To be what it's supposed to be. And he knows he's the great designer, great architect of this thing. He knows where you belong. He's a master builder. So Jesus is building his church. And he is the foundation stone, but we are also living stones in what he's building. And he knows where you belong he knows where you belong you got to trust him 
to let him put you in the place that you need to be. But I think what a privilege we have, seriously, church, that it doesn't just say he's building his church on himself and forget us. We don't have a part to play in it. He said, no, you guys are stones just like me. Maybe not as big. You don't have to carry the weight. But you're a part of this thing. And you are a stone that I'm using to build my church on the earth. We're God's building. But let's think about this. Now, and I'm going to close. And you know that means nothing. (laughs) No, I'm really going to try to. Steve, come up here. I'm going to trick you into thinking that I'm closing by bringing Steve. No, seriously, come play. I need help to land the plane so Steve can come lull me to sleep with his music. Did you guys get some today? So we are living stones that Jesus is building for a spiritual house. That's why he's building it. But here's another reason he's building his church. Think about this. You know, if if you look at design, Jesus knows how to design things. He's an architect. He's a builder. He knows where you go. He knows where you belong. But I was thinking about this. Why do we design things? We design things because we want them to be beautiful. Things are designed. And, and I think stuff like that's amazing. I'm into stuff like that. People that are creative, people that design. But I was thinking about if you look at the churches in Europe, those churches that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, think about how beautiful those churches are. And we have some in our country that are that way. But if you go in those churches, you see the stones. You see the painting. You see the lights. You see the design. And most of the time in those cities and those towns, the church was the thing that everybody went to. It was the thing that they put their money into, they invested in. And that's why it was usually the nicest building in town. But they did that also because they wanted to show God's glory and splendor. And they wanted people to notice its beauty and be attracted to it. Now, when I look at pictures like that, and I haven't been to a lot of churches like that, I've just seen pictures of it. If you see those churches in Europe and in some places in our country that are beautiful like that, what does it make you do? When you go in there, you just go, wow, man. This is impressive. You say, like, that's beautiful. And there's something in you that's attracted to that because God put that in you. There's that beauty, and you see it, and you you see the stained glass, and you see the statues, and you see the stone, and you say, man, that's amazing. And, of course, they built it practically in those days because they wanted the whole town to look at it and say, wow, look at God. Look at his beauty. And that lost people would be attracted to that place because of physically it being beautiful. Stay with me. If a natural builder and architect will put that much design into building a physical church, how many of you know that Jesus, 
the great builder, the great architect, the great designer of all time, he's building a more beautiful house. And it's not physical. It's not a natural building. It's a spiritual house he's building. And he's not using paint. He's not using pillars. He's using people. And now we know he's not going to be outdone by all these natural, beautiful churches. Jesus, how much more, is building his church. And we're all a part of it. But he's not using plywood and paint. He's using people. And he's putting us together as it pleases him. Why? He's doing it for the same reason. So his church is beautiful. So the world looks at his church and doesn't say, eh, whatever. That they look at his church and go, Wow, look at that. Look at those people. Look at that church. That is so attractive. Not, man, that really turns me off. Jesus is building his church and he's using all of us together. Why? Because he's building a church that will be beautiful to the world. Attractive to the world. That people will be drawn to it to show God's goodness to show God's glory to show God's beauty that we would be like the scriptures said that the church would be a light in a dark world that we would be the salt of the earth that we would be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden because we display God's goodness and his beauty that's what he's building and he's building it through us as church are you with me today She's saying, well, why does it matter? Why does it matter that I get into the place that God wants me to get? Because Jesus is designing this, the great architect, the great builder, the great stones mason, and he knows where you fit, and he's trying to put you there so the whole building, which is his church, looks beautiful. How many know if you went by a building and some of the windows were out, some of the bricks were out, some of the beams were out, you'd be like, that doesn't look beautiful. And that's what a lot of churches look like because people aren't in their place doing what God has called them to do. But Jesus is building a church that is beautiful. That the world will be attracted to. That the world will be drawn to. They will see his goodness and his beauty and glory in it. Not a physical house, but a spiritual house, which is us. And he wants to use us. That's why he's building it. And that's why you need to be a part. Because God cares about the world. But how many know if the world sees an ugly church, they don't want to be a part of it? They don't. If they see a church that's not impressive, not beautiful, not the church that looks and reflects like Jesus, they'll be like, I'll pass. But Jesus is building this church to be attractive to the world, that we would be drawn to it because of its beauty, its goodness, and its glory. And he's doing it through us. You with me today? You with me today? He's doing it through us. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that he's coming back for a glorious church, or we could say a beautiful church without spot or wrinkle, that everybody sees his church and is like, wow, they're beautiful. They're excellent. 
they're anointed. I want to be a part of that. Even people that don't act like they like church or like Christians are like, man, but that church is beautiful. I'm not saying the outside of it. I'm saying the people in it. The people that he's building over there. Man, there's something about them that's different. I'm attracted to it because I see God's glory there. Come on now, somebody. I see God's goodness there. I see God's power there. I see God's presence there because they built something and let God design it. Man, it's beautiful. The world can't just act like they don't see it. They see it. And I'm like, I want to be a part of something like that. That's the kind of church I'm trying to build here. That the world sees it and says, I want to be a part of that. Because it's beautiful. Not ugly. Beautiful. Because it reflects God's glory. God's goodness. God's design. And they knew, hey, there had to be a master architect to put all y'all together. Because y'all wouldn't just go out to eat with each other if you were neighbors. But some reason God put you from here and you from here and you're that color and you're that color. And boy, you know, you vote like this and you vote like this. Y'all ended up in the same church and y'all get along. Y'all love each other. Y'all building something great here. Y'all took up $90,000 for an all-in offering. Man, that's beautiful. I want to be a part of that. Man, that's what I'm talking about. That the world would see that. Last verse and I'll close. Ephesians 2. 19 through 22 in the message. I love it. It says, God is building a home. That's us. He's using all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. Did you guys get some today? Come on, can we stand up this morning? Appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you for being here. Come on, I'm excited about building this church. I'm excited that I get to be a part of what he's doing. I'm excited that I get to be a stone in the wall. I mean, that's good enough for me. I get to be a part of it. And I'm going to let God put me where he wants me to be. Come on, can we raise our hands for a second if you feel comfortable with that? Father, we just love you today. We thank you today. Come on, let's just lift up some thanksgiving and praise to him. God, we thank you that we get to be a part of what you're building on the earth. We get to be a part of your church. We get to be a part of your body. We get to be a part of your precious church on the earth. Father, we pray that we would be in the place that you want us to be, that we would do what you want us to do. Help us to be a strength to your church, not make it weaker. Help us to do what we need to do. Help us and speak to us today on how to get more in the place that we need to be. Father, let us be one of those churches, not just a physical location, but spiritually. That is beautiful. Father, let us as a church reflect the glory of God, the goodness of God, the design of the great creator and architect of all things. Let us be one of those churches that the world looks like at and says, man, wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. What's different about you guys? What's different about you guys? Man, that's beautiful over there. I can't explain it, but that's beautiful over there. God, help our church become one of those churches. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Not just with natural things and natural buildings, but 
in our hearts as people, as a community of believers. Help us to reflect your glory and your goodness today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us be a part of what you're building. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're building on the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody thankful this morning? We get to be a part of what he's doing. And Father, we thank you. We refuse to be in fear. We refuse to run and hide. We pray right now. I pray for the spirit of faith and the spirit of courage to come upon your church, that we would stop hiding from the world, that we would stop running from the world, that we would realize that we have authority and we have dominion and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand us and what we're called to do. Put a new faith and new courage into your people this morning, that we would be the church that we're called to be, full of faith, full of victory, full of authority, knowing that we have the keys of the kingdom. And Jesus said, it's my church that's going to do it. It's my church that's going to do it. It's my church that's going to do it. It's my church, and we get to be a part of that. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We're all a part of what you're doing. We're all a part of what you're doing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the great privilege to be a part of your building on the earth. Thank you, Father. Father, and I pray right now that, that, that you are speaking to people right now specifically about their place in your building. Whether it's here or somewhere else, you're speaking to them right now. And you will continue to in the next week of how they can get in the place they need to be. They need to be where they're at, doing what they're called to do. God, you'd speak to us and we'd listen. We'd listen to you. And we thank you for helping us to understand our place in your building, which is the church. Thank you, Father. We're all important. We're all important. We all play our part. None without significance. We're just all thankful we get to be a part of it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You hold all things together this morning. Thank you that you are the great cornerstone of it all. We base our life on you. We base our future on you. We thank you. You hold us. You carry us. And you are perfect this morning. And you give us the strength we need. And we thank you for it today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your grace, for your kindness towards us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you today. We love you today. We love you today. Thank you, Father. Well, Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time together. We pray as we go today, we go in your presence. We go in your spirit. We go unified on what we're called to do. 
unified together. We love each other and we love you. We thank you that these are the greatest days of our church and we will continue to get greater. We thank you that this is the time that your spirit is being poured out in a new way. That this is the time for great growth, great change. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. We thank you for this day. We thank you for each other. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.